We're in week three of our series, My Bad Church Experience, and hopefully so far this morning you've had a pretty decent experience. Hopefully, hopefully it's been okay. Hopefully you're not thinking, yeah, actually my bad church experience was about 10 minutes ago. Uh, hopefully that's not it, but we, we try our best every week to give you a good church experience. And the feedback on this series, uh, we've only done a couple of weeks, but it's been really, really strong and positive. And, uh, and that tells us, you know, that all of us have at least one bad experience, probably at least one, maybe, maybe several. And, um, and we know that the church isn't perfect. And uh, maybe you know someone who, you know, because of the bad experience they've had, they've said they're never, ever going back. And uh, maybe this will give you, um, you know, uh, something to talk about. Uh, with your friend and invite them to watch the series online or maybe it's you maybe you maybe you still carry you know the the sting of a really really bad church experience and maybe this is for you maybe this maybe you're finding this helpful i i hope so when you think about it jesus was god and he had a pretty bad church experience they crucified him (laughs) even god had a bad church experience right have you ever had a bad meal in a restaurant? Anyone? Yeah. Uh, ever had to return something to the grocery store? How about ordering coffee in the drive-thru? And, you know, and, and hey, we're thankful for the drive-thru, and we love uh, everyone here who, who works at the drive-thru. We're thankful for that. But you ordered 1.8 teaspoons of milk in your coffee, and they put in 1.9, and, uh, and you feel like they, they never get it right. Just just drink your coffee black, and then that fixes it, you know. Just, there you go. Tip of the day right there. Drink your coffee black. Um, But you keep going back to the restaurant, and you keep going back to the grocery store, and you keep going back to the coffee shop, even though you may have had uh, one or two bad experiences. You don't let one negative experience keep you away from those places for life. And we're acknowledging in this series that the church is far from perfect, and uh, hopefully this will help us talk about these things and maybe even help some people give church a second chance or another chance. The first week of the series, we talked about the hypocrites. And what happens is when, when someone, uh, someone sees a Christian doing something that they believe is very unchristian or not Christian, they see uh, you know, one of you doing something that they think, well, hey, I don't, I don't think Christians do that or church people do that. What they do is they just, they just paint all the churches the same way and they just say the churches are full of people like that and they're full of hypocrites and then that's the reason that they use for not going to church reality is that all of us are capable myself included all of us are capable of messing up and messing up you know or stumbling or whatever you want to call it doesn't make you a hypocrite it makes you normal a hypocrite is someone who's making a a mockery out of the deal a hypocrite is a poser. They're a fake. They're, they're a joke, and they're making a joke uh, out of following Jesus. And hypocrites really are a small percentage of most churches, a really small percentage. Um, and hypocrites need to come to church, right? I mean, people say, well, I don't go to church because hypocrites go to church. Well, hypocrites are imperfect people who, this is why the church exists. Like, they've got to come to church. We want Jesus to get a hold of their lives, and so, so we want them to come to church. Last week, we talked about judging others, and many people don't go to church either because they went once and, uh, and they felt judged, or their perception of Christians in general is that those people are judgmental people, 
And, and they don't, so these people who feel that way don't even want to come through our doors because they feel like as soon as they come to church that, that, that church people are going to peer into their soul and, and see all the wrong things that they've, they've ever done and, and just stare at them and tisk tisk with shame, you know. And, and that's the way that they feel. And we can joke a little bit about it, but reality is that people aren't making this stuff up. I mean, there's a reason why they think the church is judgmental. There's a reason why they feel this way. And, and they, they've really had experience where they felt like people were, were judging them. A different type of bad church experience this week. And this one isn't necessarily uh, hurtful, but it is very damaging. And a very real reason why uh, people are busy on Sunday mornings and they would rather stay home and bath their cat than go to church is because they went to church at one point or another and it didn't make any sense to them or it just wasn't relevant. Now these people, they're not, they're not necessarily opposed to church, um, but they haven't had a great experience either. They're just, they're just indifferent. And they're okay that you go or they're glad that you go. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter to them, but they don't see any need for it in their own lives. They're just, they're just indifferent. It's just a bunch of old rules and a bunch of rituals and a bunch of old stories from an old book with old music and old architecture and it seemed way out of touch with reality and it didn't make sense and it certainly didn't make any difference to them so why would they go to church and maybe maybe for those maybe i'm not making any sense right now but i i hope you know if that's you this morning before the morning is over hopefully uh, it will make sense and it will be relevant to your life if the church believes that we have the greatest message ever told, like we've got the, the greatest story of all of history and that all of history is his story, if we believe that and, that, and then we believe that Jesus is relevant to every area of our lives, we believe that, but a lot of people find church confusing or they went and the whole experience had no relevance to their lives at all. That's a huge problem. And I can stand up here each week and week after week after week and go on and on and on about how relevant Jesus is. But what really makes Jesus relevant to non-believers is when we leave here and go out and live like Jesus. When, when, you, take, when you take what you've heard and, and what God is doing in your life and you go out and live that, then when, others, when, when we serve others with love, when we live so countercultural that people can't help but notice the difference that Jesus is making in our lives, Jesus becomes relevant to others when they see how relevant he is in your life. The Apostle Paul was one of the, one of the very first missionaries. He was going where no one had, he was boldly going where no one had gone before, and he was helping people to make sense of Jesus. And he spent three years in the city of Ephesus. And he had three years there to, to, to help people uh, believe in Jesus, to help people detach from, from all of their pagan practices, all of their, their idol worship uh, that Ephesus was known for, everything that they'd been taught uh, since birth. And, and he had three years to help people get their roots down deep, uh, deep enough so that they could grow in their faith, deep enough so that they could withstand any, any persecution. And, and later in his life, when Paul was in a, a Roman prison cell, 
he, he's hearing about how good the church in Ephesus is doing. And he's hearing about, it, about their faith and their love for others. And uh, people in Ephesus are writing letters to Paul and, uh, and sending them to him. And, and other people are, who have visited Ephesus are visiting Paul in Rome. And they're saying, man, like the church in Ephesus is, is doing great and uh, giving them great reports. And so Paul writes this letter uh, to them that we know as the book of Ephesians. And he writes to them, and he, re- he reminds them of all the reasons that, that Jesus is totally, totally relevant and why God is worthy of all of our praise. And uh, so we're gonna, this morning, uh, we're going to study the entire book of Ephesians. It's going to take us about eight hours. And uh, we're just going to go through the whole book. Maybe someday, I don't know if anybody would come, would you come to like eight hours of Ephesians with, with the, you know, yeah, like eight of you. All right, okay. No, that'd be fun, you know, that'd be fun. We'll, we'll do that. Um, so I am going to pick out a few highlights from, if anyone would like to kill that fly, that would be, that would be great. Um, I am going to pick out a few highlights, but we're not going to do the whole book. We'll get to our, we do have a main text that we're going to get to. In um, chapter 1, verse 18, if you've got your Bibles this morning, you can just kind of just kind of flip through some of these texts with me. Chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says this. He says, I pray that your hearts would be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. What a great uh, image that Paul gives the, the church in Ephesians. He prays that their hearts would be flooded with light so that they can understand Flooded with light reminds me this morning that our message needs to be clear. Like this room right now, when I'm, when I'm presenting God's word, my prayer is that, that every heart in this room would be flooded with light. I know that there are a lot of you every Sunday morning that you're praying for people who are here right now that have never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. A lot of you pray that like the whole time that I'm preaching, you're praying for others. And you're praying that... That, that God would flood their hearts with light, that, that they would just be able to see Jesus clearer than ever before. And that's Paul's prayer for the, for the church in Ephesus. And he says, I pray that God would flood your, your hearts with light. I mean, I don't, I, this still happens to me after serving Christ and preaching all these years, and I read something in Scripture, and I see it like I've never seen it before. And it's just like God shone a new light on that in my, in my heart. And, uh, and I believe it happens weekly here at Moncton Wesleyan. At least some of you tell me, you know, that you, that you saw something that you never saw before. God helped you uh, understand something that you, didn't, that you didn't understand before that. So we need to pray that it will be clear. We need to help people see Jesus clearer than ever before. The Bible is clear about being clear. It calls Jesus light, and it calls everything else darkness. That's clear. And people who don't see Jesus or can't see Jesus, they need massive amounts of light to come into their life and illuminate Jesus for them. And uh, if you've got friends that have given up on church and they're, they're done with church or they, they tried it and it didn't make any sense, I hope that you tell them, listen, give it another chance. And, uh, and our, our pastor is not smart enough to confuse people. And it's, and it's easy to understand, and he, and he tosses it underhand. Hey, you, you, can't, 
You, I was going to say, you can't hit a David Price fastball, but that's a bad illustration if you watched last night's game. <laughs> and you can't hit an R.A. Dickey knuckleball either. And we just lob it out here nice and underhand because we want you to get it. We want you to understand it. We want you to receive it. We want it to make a difference in your, in your life. In uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 1, Paul says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many, many sins. You were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. There's a word, that, a term that we use around church, and let me be clear about it. It's called the gospel. And the gospel, the word gospel means good news. And good news is the message of the Bible. It's good news because it's life. Life is good news. And there is nothing more relevant than life. And if someone asks you, why, why do you believe in Jesus? Why do you go to church? Hopefully, you could, you could muster every ounce of positive energy that's within you, and you could passionately share with that person uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, that you were dead in your sins. You were completely, totally dead in your sins. You were cosmically lost without hope and without a purpose. And Jesus gave you life. Okay. I, I think back of, of my life without Jesus and where I would be without Jesus. I wasn't a sick person who needed to be made better. I was a dead person who needed to be brought back to life. I wasn't a good person who needed religion. I was a sinner who needed God's grace. Church is not a place that I attend. It's not an event on the calendar. Church is a movement of people, a movement of people who have experienced new life in Jesus Christ. And we meet on Sunday mornings to worship him and to celebrate and to pray and confess, to renew and restore and reset and realign our hearts with the God who sent his son to die on a cross for our sins. That's clear. That's clear. And there is nothing more relevant. But just saying that it's relevant doesn't make it relevant. We must, we must live it. People have to see us actually living it. All right, chapter 2, um, picking it back up again in verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Man, this is good news. Verse 8, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you, we have done. So none of us can boast about it. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That's a good word, isn't that? That's a great word. 
All right, I'm going to keep reading. That's so good. Let's read some more. Now, think of this text, the text I'm going to read now. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read 14 to 18. I'll just let the Bible preach itself, right? And I'm going to read 14 to 18 in light of recent tensions in, in Jerusalem and Israel. Okay, are you aware? Recent tensions in Jerusalem and Israel. You're aware of this? Okay, now listen to God's word in light of those tensions. Verse 14, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people in his own body on the cross. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated them. They've been building walls ever since. Jesus died to break down the walls. They've been building walls ever, ever since. Where am I? He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between, he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news, there it is, gospel, this good news of peace to you Gentiles who are far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. I mean, you talk about, talk about relevant. That's, uh, that's relevant. That's, uh, wow, the reason Jesus died was to bring those people together, to tear down those walls, and, uh, and uh, they've been fighting ever since. Okay, I do have a text for us to focus on this morning. That was all introduction. Told you we'd be here all day. Uh, don't worry, we'll order lunch for everyone. Okay, you're getting a slice of pizza. One. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. Ephesians 3, verse 8. This is Paul writing from prison back to the church in Ephesus that he started. He lived with these people for three years. Here we go. Paul says, though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. And God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you. So you should feel honored, Paul says. So, okay, I'm going to go uh, back to the, the flip chart over here. I'll move my podium so... So everyone can see. So Paul begins by saying that, that he is the least. Let me move this into, let me put this into the light because we want to be clear. All right, that's better. So Paul starts off this text and he says that 
that he is the least. Now, if you were looking at this, this scale, and uh, if you were saying, okay, well, who else would we put near the top of something like this? And, uh, you know, names come to mind um, of people who we would put near the top. Usually people say, Mother, is, is there an H in Teresa? Okay. Mother Teresa, um, Pastor Tim's grandmother. I had a saint for a grandmother. Uh, who else would we put near the top here? Oh, Billy Graham. He's always near the top. Right? Tapper. Tapper's in a league of his own, that guy, I tell you. And, uh, okay, Pastor B, LD, we'll put him over here. Okay, so what Paul does is he starts off this, this verse, and he says, I am the least. And actually, there was the word that Paul used, he kind of, he kind of came up with his own word. Um, the word that he, that, that he used for least it's actually translated, there's no, it's really hard to translate because it translates like, I'm the most least to rest. It's like, I'm the least, like, it's, it's not I'm the most least, like I'm, I'm, I'm lower than the lower of the low. And, and Paul, you know, he puts himself way down, way down there. And uh, he says, I'm the, I'm the least of all people. Um, Paul, the greatest traveling ambassador for the church. Paul, who wrote uh, almost two-thirds of the New Testament. Paul, who, who God literally downloaded vast amounts of theology into Paul's uh, spirit and equipped him to, to write it for us. Uh, Paul, who the church planter. Paul, the, the martyr. And he puts himself at the bottom of the list. And he says, I am, I'm the most least of all people. But Paul doesn't, doesn't stay there for long. He doesn't stay there for long. He says, uh, he, he's setting you up. And he, he's getting ready to, to vault. Uh, because what he's doing is he's going to show you that, that even though I'm a, I was a former murderer and all of this, even though that I persecuted the church, even though I, uh, I persecuted Christ's followers for sport, I was a criminal, I, Paul, was radically transformed for God's glory. And Paul wants to show you that God can take anybody from here to Jesus Christ, that God can bridge this gap for anyone, that God can, if, if God can rescue a sinner like Paul and radically transform his life, then there's hope for anyone. So he's setting us up to, to show us that. Now, this is relevant. God has a better plan. God has a, a better way. God has a, a better life for you. Even if you think, well, my life's not so bad without Jesus. Even if you're sailing through life with no problems, there is a, a purpose and a hope and a peace on a whole nother level that you can only experience when you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying that if God can do that in his life, then he can do it for anyone. Okay, in verse 8, in verse 8, Paul says, Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles 
about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. Endless treasures. As long as you live and grow and, and search and study and experience all of God's goodness and everything you can know about God's nature, and as long as you grow in your relationship with him, you will never, ever exhaust the endless treasures that are available in Jesus Christ. His goodness, you'll never exhaust his goodness. You'll never fully uncover the depths of his love for you. And, and again, it's Paul's way of, of pointing back to, to where he was in Christ and how much God has done in his life. And he says, you, you'll never exhaust his endless riches. And Paul places an ultra-high value on God's grace. He doesn't undervalue grace. He fully appreciates the grace of God. And he's telling us that nothing this world has to offer can compare with what God can do for you and what God has in store for you. You know, in, in, in this life, there's, there's, there are limits to how much you can make. There's a limit to how much stuff you can accumulate. There's a limit to how much fun you can have. Uh, you have limitations. The only unlimited source of life is in Jesus Christ. Jesus is he's the only thing that's unlimited. I mean, if you want to be really, really radical, trust Jesus with your life. If you want life to the extreme, trust Jesus. If you want endless treasures, then take up your cross and follow him, and you will experience true treasure that money can't buy. And so Paul uh, puts a really high value on grace. And he says it's all about God's grace and what God has done in, uh, in his life. All right, verse, uh, let me get on the right spot here. Verse 10. Now remember, Paul is in jail in Rome. He writes like he's never been better. He, he's, he's, he, he writes like my life is, is just awesome, and he's in jail in Rome. And he's never, he writes like he's never been more free, like he's never experienced anything as awesome as knowing and serving Jesus. In other words, for Paul, being in jail for Jesus is better than wandering free for yourself. Look at what he says in verse 10. He says, God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Okay, first couple of words of that verse. God's purpose. God's purpose. There is a purpose to all of this. You are not an accident. This, this isn't just coincidence. Me speaking on this topic today, and, or you finding this sermon online when you happen to find this sermon, God's purpose is in that. God has always been unfolding his providential plan, and it's all relevant. Your story and God's story intersecting at the cross of Jesus Christ. And for Paul, he got to be the guy 20 and 30 years later after the resurrection. He got to be the guy who could, who could uh, travel as far as he could and, and tell people why the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the most relevant thing in all of history. And Paul says it was God's purpose in all of this to use the church, to use the church. The church is God's chosen method to display 
all of his, his awesomeness to the universe. Now, think about this this morning. Think about this should, this should pop the whole bag of popcorn in one pop. Okay, just think about this this morning. Even with all the, the marvels of the universe and the intricacies of, of, of life itself, the complexities of life itself, the stunning visuals that we have of the oceans, the mountains, the wonders of the world, God's plan, God's purpose in all of this was to use the church of all things, to use the church to, to help people see clearly who God is. God's plan was to gather people, Jews and Gentiles, which means multiracial, which means everybody worshiping together, God's plan was, if, if, I can, if I can get that group and that group to, to come together as one, the whole world will, will see how awesome God is. So to get the Jews and the Gentiles multiracial worship and have them worship together in a community that lives out this book right here and the teachings of Jesus in such a way, with such relevance, that through the church, people would see how great God is how relevant he is to their lives, and they would come to know and follow Jesus. Well, if that's true, if Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 is true, that it was God's purpose to use the church, then it's ministerial malpractice for a church to not make sense or to not be relevant. We have to do this. Like, there's so much at stake. And if, if, if we're counting on you to invite others to church, well, when they come to church, we want it to make sense, and we want it to be relevant to people's lives. We want it to speak to where they are at. This is why our vision here is so important, that we would be people inviting people to experience and follow Jesus. This is why the outreach that we do is so important out of this church that some people will see us being the church. They'll see us being the church and loving others unconditionally and they'll want to know more about Jesus because of what they see us doing in our community and, and, and uh, just serving others. There is so much potential in the church because there's nothing like the church when the church is working right. It's the hope of the world. And God help us, Moncton Westland, God help us to be in Ephesians chapter 3, church. God help us to be loving one another. God help us to be serving one another. God help us to be lifting Jesus high every single week with the very best that we have to offer. Now, we're not, we're not chasing culture to stay cool. Ah! We're, we're engaging culture because we want to stay relevant. And there's a huge, huge difference between those two things. Jesus will be more relevant to others when they see how relevant he is in your life. What difference is Jesus making in your life? What difference is God making in your life? How relevant is he to you? And are people seeing that? The more that people see Jesus in our lives, the more open they will be to exploring him for themselves. The difference that Jesus makes in your life could make all the difference in someone else's life. Now, when you're, when you're going through life and... Uh, and you're still trusting in God, and you're not losing your faith when life doesn't make sense. People see those things in you. 
They see it when, when God is an anchor, when God is a rock, when God is a fortress, when, when, when your faith holds strong in the storms that you're going through. People see that, and it makes a difference to others. Trusting God in your storms, trusting God through your storms, praising God like Paul, even when it seems like the whole world is winning because Christ is in you. Not giving up on, uh, on your marriage and making it a not giving up on it, but making your marriage an example of restoration and grace and what God can do, that God can heal anything, that God can restore anything, that God can get you through, through, through any difficulty. Getting through a financial crisis with more faith than you ever had, that your, your faith is only stronger than it, than it ever has been. When the doctors can't give you hope, but that's okay because your hope is in Jesus and nothing can take that hope away from you. Paul says there are endless treasures available in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that endless, endless treasures available to us in Jesus? We need to pray that God's light will flood people's hearts and help them to see how good God is. We need to remember that every Sunday is somebody's first Sunday. And we have to be clear and we have to be helpful and we have to be relevant as a church. We need to be the church. We need to love one another, serve one another in ways that people, serve, serve one and love one another on a level that people have never experienced in their whole entire lives. That the entire city of Moncton would say there is something different about that church. There's something different about those people, the way that they're loving one another and serving one another. No one has ever seen anything like it. And all it does, all it does is point to Jesus Christ. It just points people to Jesus Christ. We need to be the church. <laughs> Loving and serving in ways that cause more and more people to experience and follow Jesus. Friday night, we were down to, uh, Gayla and I were down to Kingswood University um, for the inauguration of their, their new president, Dr. Stephen Lennox. And the keynote speaker of the evening was our general superintendent, Dr. Joanne Lyons. And Dr. Lyons shared a story of one of our pastors from India, a guy by the name of Samuel Justin. And Samuel... Uh, he's dead and gone now, but he, he pastored uh, most of his life in a part of India where it was very, very dangerous to profess faith in Jesus Christ. And he pastored right up until he died at the age of, of 85. And by the time of his death, he had planted dozens of churches in this part of uh, India, dozens of Wesleyan churches uh, in this very difficult soil, this very very hard part of the world. And Dr. Lyons told the story of how Samuel was a, a homeless street boy and uh, blind and was picked up by a Christian couple right off the street. They just picked him up, took him home, and adopted him and raised him. And one day his, his adopted mother said to him, Samuel, Jesus doesn't want you to be blind anymore. And she put her hands on his eyes, and she prayed over him. And he said, when my mother took her hands off my eyes, I could see, and I've been seeing ever since. Yeah. 
She told that story. Late in Samuel's life, a local group of militants put a bounty on his head for sharing Jesus Christ. And they wrote to kill him. And Dr. Lyons told about how his family pleaded with him, don't leave the house, they'll kill you. And Samuel went out every day as he always did and said, I'm, I'm going to go serve Jesus. I'm going to go pastor and minister in my community uh, as I always have. And if they kill me, they kill me. And his family convinced the local municipality to put secret police on him to, to protect him. They were so afraid. And the municipality agreed. And so there were secret police following Samuel everywhere that he went, all day, every day. And he didn't see them. He didn't know who they were. He had no idea. He just, he just went out and served in the community like he always had. And so on one particular Sunday, Dr. Lyons herself was there at, at uh, Samuel's church and uh, there for morning for, for worship. And at the end of the service, Samuel said, uh, he announced that they were going to have a baptism. And Dr. Lyons said, Samuel, are we going to do this baptism inside with the doors closed? And he said, oh, no, no, we're going outside in the streets where everybody can see. And they went outside, and she said, here was this, this, this metal container with water and a cross outside and a cross there. She said the whole community would have known what we were doing. And she said as, as they walked towards the baptismal, Samuel leaned over and said to Dr. Lyons, two of the people we're baptizing today have been my secret police. Now, if you're connecting the dots, these police came to Jesus by following Samuel, Justin, and following his life, and watching him serve, and watching him love his community. And just by following him, they saw Jesus in him. God, help each one of us. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you again this morning for your light, the light of your word, the light of your presence. And maybe, God, you are shining your light on every single heart that is here this morning. Some folks need light of forgiveness. Some folks need light of your presence, just knowing you are here. Some folks need a, a, a light of hope uh, because they've been in a valley for a long time and they just need to see your light. Some people need the light of truth. Some people need the light of your grace this morning. Whatever it is, Lord, would you flood, would you flood each heart with your light today? And God, would you help us, each one of us, together as a church, to go out into the darkness and let our light shine so before men that they would see, that they would see Jesus in us 
and they would want to know, they would want to know the God who loved them enough to die on a cross to save them, to have a relationship with them. Lord, I just thank you. Thank you for our church. I thank you, God, for all the ways that you've uh, allowed us to shine. But, but God, you're calling us today to shine brighter than ever before. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who does not yet know you as their Savior, and yet they can sense your light this morning, I pray that you would help them to simply open up the door of their life just to simply say, Jesus, come in. Come in and shine your light in every part of my life, and I will trust you and follow you. So Lord, as you speak to us in the closing moments of this service, help us to respond with obedience and full surrender, whatever you're calling us, asking us to do. I pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.